to everyone to stand, pick up your Bible, and open them to Psalm 31 for our scripture reading this morning. Psalm 31, verses 19 to 24. Oh, oh, how great is thy goodness, which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee, which thou hast wrought for them that trust in thee before the sons of men. Thou shalt hide them in the secret of thy presence for the pride of man, from the pride of man. Thou shalt keep them secretly in a pavilion from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he hath showed me his marvelous kindness in a strong city. For I said in my haste, I am cut off from before before thine eyes. Nevertheless, thou heardest the voice of my supplications when I cried unto thee. O love the Lord, all ye saints, for the Lord preserveth the faithful, and plentifully rewardeth the proud doer. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all ye that hope in the Lord. Open your songbooks. As we remain standing, my faith has found a resting place. Okay, remain standing, <laughs> but don't find a resting place other than your faith in the Lord. Okay, 389, my faith has found a resting place. And as we sing this, children's church is dismissed. My faith has found a resting place. My faith has found a resting place, not in device nor creed. I trust the ever-living one, his wounds for me shall plead. I need no other argument, I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. Enough for me that Jesus saves this, ends my fear and doubt. A sinful soul, I come to him, he'll never cast me out. I need no other argument, I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. My great physician heals the sick, the lost he came to save. For me his precious blood he shed, for me his life he gave. I need no other argument, I need no other It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. Verse 4. My heart is leaning on the word, the written word of God. Salvation by my Savior's name, salvation through his blood. I need no other argument, I need no other plea. 
enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. Amen, right? You may be seated. Open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. We're picking up where we left off a few weeks back. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Heavenly Father, you have made it possible for us to walk with the Holy Spirit day in and day out. And we know that the Holy Spirit is none other than the Spirit of Christ who indwells everyone who has believed. And because of that, you have enabled us to develop these attributes that are listed in this portion of Scripture and others elsewhere. It is a work of yours. It is a divine supernatural work in a believer. And yet it does take our every moment active obedience to you. Father God, I ask you that today you would challenge us to be actively involved in that work that you can do through us and in us and for us. And Father God, I ask you that that would be the case as we look at the fruit of the Spirit once again. For those who are here that haven't yet trusted Jesus Christ as personal Savior, Father God, I ask you that today the Holy Spirit would work in that person's heart or those people's hearts in such a way that they recognize forgiveness of sin and eternal life is only offered through faith in Jesus Christ. And once faith has been placed, it changes our lives now and forever. And we thank you, Heavenly Father, that we can ask you that whoever needs to make that decision today will do so. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Before we enjoyed that great family big game banquet here a few weeks ago, and by the way, there were 51 people, at least 51, maybe there were more, okay, present and that was a lot of fun. Anyway, the Jenkins were with us. They had ministry here also on Sunday, three weeks ago. Um, our sermons were focused before that on the fruit of the Spirit, as we read just a few minutes ago. And of course, we had special services around Palm Sunday and last Sunday as Resurrection Sunday. And I want to thank everyone for your part in all of that, from preparing and providing meals and special wonderful music and poetry and scripture readings and other ministries. I'd like to thank everyone for your part in that, even set up and, and putting things away and cleaning up or helping those who are cleaning, all of that. Thank you, everyone, on behalf of all of us. Today, let's get back to the fruit of the Spirit. Interesting, the first three fruit are expressed Upward or Godward, remember? Love, joy, and peace come from God and we express them back to God. He is the one who offers us 
love that we could not ever come up with or drum up on our own as human beings. And we can love him as well. We love him because he first loved us, as it says in 1 John 4, verse 19. That's just an example. So those first three attributes, love, joy, and peace, are primarily expressed upwardly or Godwardly. The second three fruit are expressed outwardly or manwardly. For example, long-suffering, gentleness, and goodness. God is the perfect example of being long-suffering to us word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, as Peter wrote. God is our example of long-suffering. God is our example of true gentleness and goodness. By the way, those attributes, those fruit of the Spirit, are from the Holy Spirit, and they're good fruit, and will make a difference in the lives of those around us. So we express those outwardly or manwardly. By the way, remember, this is not a DIY project. This is not a do-it-yourself project. We can't do it on our own. We cannot bury any of these positive, godly characteristics unless we have put to death the old worldly ways and live our daily lives in the Spirit and walk in the Spirit. Look at verses 24 and 25. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh. Put that to death on the cross with the affections and lust. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Are you long-suffering to others? Am I long-suffering toward others in our home, with family, with extended family, with our church family, with our neighbors, with folks at work? Huh. With our enemies? Are we long-suffering to others? God is long-suffering to us, word, and we out and ought to be long-suffering to others as well. To others' word, if you will. Are you and I gentle? Way too many people, even some Christians, will not even give someone the time of day, will they? Are they long-suffering? Are they expressing that attribute that God offers and gentle and good? Well, God is the one that evaluates. Love, joy, peace, and long-suffering, gentleness and goodness are God-word and man-word. The next three are self-word or inward. I chafe when I hear the self stuff around us. Now, we all know I wonder, I'm sure, right? We all know that as Christians we are not to be focused on self, right? We're to be focused on Christ and others, right? Christians aren't self-absorbed. They're not self-centered or concerned about self-esteem, are they? Maybe there's some sarcasm in that. After all, the Bible says, let nothing be done through strife, or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Hmm. And then it goes on to say in Philippians 2, verse 4, I just read verse 3, look not every man on his own things, 
but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you and me, which was also in Christ Jesus. Well, I know that the world around us is all about self. It is. In philosophy, self-worth is called egoism and has been promoted by Hume and Skinner and Hobbes. Self-interest, he said, is man's sole motivation, according to Hobbes, the philosopher. Shaftesbury, Adam Smith, and Holbach, and Striner say egotism is the discovery and fulfillment of one's individual nature. Socrates, his famous saying was, know thyself. His famous maxim of the Delphic Oracle. Telesio said, self-preservation is man's basic goal. Aristotle, quote, self-realization is a basic human value that leads to happiness. End quote. Emerson wrote a lot on self-reliance. In more modern times, seminars about self-esteem and self-worth have been offered to every major corporation, and many of you have attended some of those because of the company you worked for, Personal Synergistic Improvement by the Will Heights, called PSI World, and with self-promotion and by Carnegie. And in religion, the famous Dr. Robert Schuller, some of you remember his name, of the Crystal Cathedral fame over in California, was the one who developed and promoted self-esteem theology. Others followed suit. Some good men fell into that. Now, there's Meyer and Olstein and Bill Johnson and Brian Simmons in our day and age that are promoting, you can be whatever you want to be. All you have to do is contemplative prayer. Claim it. Name it and claim it. God has to do it for you. They even claim that there is an incarnation, that they are, like Jesus, an incarnation and are a God, a little God. It's the new cult called Jesus culture. Watch out for it. It is infiltrating many good churches and others that are borderline churches, and it's promoted through Bethel music. We've talked about this in the past, and Hillsong, the New Apostolic Reformation, it's all about you. That's the focus, is now in some churches. But where did self-love really come from? Where did self-love really come from? Hmm... I believe it started in a garden long ago in a land called Eden. Yeah, Satan tempted Eve with that which appealed to her eyes, to her desires, and to her pride, herself, her ego, the famous id. If you have a question about that, I suppose you could ask my wife or Chris. They know a lot about this kind of philosophy 
So don't misunderstand. It's not of God to promote self. It isn't. That's not what we're doing here in these last three fruit of the Spirit. Faith, meekness, and temperance are not a focus on self. In fact, quite the opposite. We are not talking about self-improvement as a project. That's not what we're talking about here. It's not, we can't do it, it, we just can't do it on, your, on our own. Have you ever tried to pick up yourself by your bootstraps? I remember as a kid, I heard that idiom and I tried it, and it just didn't even make sense. You can't pick yourself up by your own bootstraps. That doesn't work, and that's not what's happening here. This is not a self-improvement project. We can't do it. Keep your finger in Galatians chapter 5 and go to Romans 12, verses 1 through 3. You'll know why I'm doing this. Romans 12, 1 through 3. I'll give you a moment to get there. Romans 12, verses 1 through 3. The same Apostle Paul who wrote the letter to the Galatians wrote a different one at a different time to believers in the city of Rome, Italy, back in those days. Verse 1 of chapter 12, he wrote, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, that's believers, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, rationally, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. It is God that gives us the ability to live the fruit of the Spirit. We can't do it on our own, and we're not to be conformed to this world in trying to come up with self-esteem stuff. It's God who gives us the faith. It can only work in you and me if God, the Holy Spirit, puts us in it. We can only express faith meekness and temperance inwardly which has an effect otherwise if God puts it there that does not mean Christians are to be passive it doesn't mean (laughs) that it's just going to happen poof out of thin air that's not the point either we're not to be passive in this very active actually but it is God who does it it's not about self it's not about me doing it it's not about you doing it to have to enjoy and express the inner virtues of faith, meekness, and temperance is a work of God. And we must live in him and walk in him to receive it, as we just read in Galatians 5, 24 and 25. <clears throat> we must never be self-centric, but always Christ-centric. That's the point. Our Savior must be our focus when we rise up, when we walk by the way, when we sit down, when we go to bed at night. It must be about Christ, not me. It's not a passive thing. It is a purposeful 
yielding ourselves to our Savior and his Spirit's leading. Let me say that again. It is not passive in regard to these fruit of the Spirit. It is a purposeful yielding ourselves to our Savior and his Spirit's leading. The first one of these three found at the end of verse 22 is faith. Faith in verse 22 is the Greek word pistis and it has more to do with living out our faith in Christ than it does with what we believe in our hearts. Now, it matters what you believe in your heart but to God it also matters how you live that out, how you live your faith out. Both are necessary and important. Here the fruit called faith could be like faithfulness, but it's much more than faithfulness in its most common usage. It's a trustworthiness. Are you and I trustworthy? It is a fidelity in performing promises. Do we always keep our promises and perform them as we have made before God and others. It is a carefulness in preserving that which has been committed to our trust. Let me read that again. It is a carefulness in preserving that which has been committed to our trust. This has been committed to our trust. Our children have been committed to our trust. Our spouses have been committed to our trust. Are we careful in preserving that which has been committed to our trust? It means transacting business confided to us in a way of integrity. It has to do with integrity. It means never betraying a secret of a friend. It means never disappointing confidence placed in us. It means holding fast to that which we believe. It means being steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. Can we do that on our own? As self-improvement? No, we can't do that on our own. But this virtue can be mine and yours as we walk in the Spirit. The second one is meekness, the first word in verse 23. It is a virtue that is listed as a fruit of the Spirit. It's the Greek word preotes, and it is a humble gentleness. It sounds so much like weakness, you know, meekness and weakness. No, but it's not weakness. It's quite the opposite. It is a humble gentleness. It is not weakness. It is a strength under control. Meekness is a mild kindness toward anyone who is weak or hurting, even if they're wrong. Meekness is a mild kindness toward anyone who is weak or hurting, even if they're wrong. Meekness is patient with those who have injured us without feeling a spirit of revenge. Revenge belongs to God, not us. Meekness has to do with the strength in that area. We tend to want revenge. That takes weak, that's a weak thing. God wants us to be strong and not seek that. 
Meekness takes a special strength from God as it is a balance of all tempers and passions. It is the entire opposite of anger. In Numbers 12, Aaron and Miriam, Moses' older siblings, were jealous and, and they said, Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Hath he not spoken by us also? And the Lord heard it. Here's the Lord's comment. Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. Does that mean he was timid? Was Moses timid, you guys? No, he wasn't. No, he wasn't. And the Lord spake suddenly unto Moses and unto Aaron and unto Miriam, Come out, ye three, unto the tabernacle of the congregation. And they three came out, and God corrected Miriam and Aaron in front of Moses. No, Moses could have... I don't know what Moses could have done with that staff of his, but he chose under strength to be meek and let God deal with it. Are you strong enough to let God deal with it? That's meekness, and that's a virtue, and that is one of the fruit of the Spirit. That was God's comment about Moses, that he was meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. Uh, Moses could have sought revenge for their jealousy. Oh, yeah. But he let God deal with it. It took a yieldedness to God by Moses and a strength from God for Moses to be meek. He didn't get angry. He didn't get even. He was not a chicken. He was meek. He was strong. My friend Greg is now in heaven. Greg was one of the strongest men I have ever known. He was strong to the point of hyperbole. I saw Greg because someone dared him once carry six sheets of half-inch CDX from the ground up onto a subfloor and drop them, and it rattled the whole house. Yet he could carry that much weight. He was super physically strong, I remember watching as a guy would mock and make fun of Greg for the way he mispronounced some words. Or because he had trouble reading. Greg was not a very good reader. And kids mocked him. He was kept back a year in school. And kids made fun of Greg. They taunted him. And Greg could have squished him like a bug. He could have. But he chose not to. I'm sure there are times Greg was stewing inside. But he'd walk away. You remember that one, Etta? That was strength under control and that was meekness. Then there is temperance. It is that genuine Christian character, characteristic, that has to do with a God-given restraint a moderation, a non-indulgence. Now, let me develop that a little further. Temperance is an appropriateness in all things, good or bad. It's an appropriateness in all things, good or bad. An example would be not eating too much. 
word moderation comes in there, right? Obesity is not temperate. Nor is anorexia. Do you get the point? Or bulimia. Neither are temperate. Okay, here's another example. Not sleeping too much. Some people sleep in and sleep too much, and that's not temperance. Neither is not sleeping enough, sleeping too little. I, I know a fellow who bragged to me that he hadn't slept in 40 days. That's what he, I don't know how that's possible. But he was not in his right mind because of that. And he stank. He needed a bath. That's not temperance. That's not temperance. Here's another one. To be temperate or moderate in how you dress. The idea is appropriate. Appropriate in how you dress. Let's say, dress appropriately upward for God and careful when we're working, whatever it is. There's a moderation in that and the idea is appropriateness. Temperance. Some people need temperance when it comes to auctions. Hopefully you say that. Some people need temperance when it comes to auctions. Have you ever met somebody that goes to an auction? Don't raise your hand, please. That goes to an auction and almost has to bid on everything? We have. Or yard sales. Some people need temperance when it comes to yard sales. (laughs) And credit cards. You get the point? That's temperance. Well, you get the idea. It's not self-improvement. It is God-improvement. Let God do that work in you and change our character. These are virtues that are developed and empowered by the Holy Spirit when we actively yield to him and walk in him day by day week by week, month by month, and so on. The the last part of verse 23 is critical to the understanding of the context of Galatians. The fruit of the Spirit, verse 22, is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. What does it say then? Against such there is no law. Hmm. You remember the main problem in Galatians that the Apostle Paul was addressing, there were some false teachers who had crept into the churches, infiltrated the churches in the province of Galatia that were teaching you have to do this, you have to do that, you have to keep this law or that ordinance, and otherwise you're not spiritual and you're not a Christian. And that was the problem. Keeping Old Testament law the conclusion is, does not save anyone. It doesn't give you new life. It can't because it is of works, and salvation is not of works. So the phrase, against such there is no law here, would be understood in the context and in this the way the sentence structure works out, the syntax, those whose lives are adorned 
by the above virtues, these nine fruit of the Spirit, cannot be condemned by any law. If we keep these nine, and I know there are others in the Bible, but right here we have nine before us. You won't go to jail for it. There is no law, not even Old Testament law. In fact, this is beyond Old Testament law. The Old Testament law doesn't command them to be long-suffering. It doesn't command them to be temperate, per se. There are principles, yes. Those whose lives are adorned by the above virtues cannot be condemned by any law, for the whole purpose and design of the moral law of God is fulfilled in those who have the Spirit of God producing in their hearts and lives those fruits, those nine fruit. One commentator wrote some about that, and I'm part, in part quoting him. In verse 24, it says we are to put to death the old self stuff, that self stuff, we're to put that to death and bring to life the fruit of the Spirit. And here's how, here's how. In John 15, verses 4 and 5, Jesus said, Abide in me, and I in you. By the way, that's not passive. That's an active abiding in Christ. Then he abides in us, and when he abides in us, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. We can't in our own strength. One final comment by Paul on this subject is verses 25 and 26. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. If you're born again, the Holy Spirit indwells you, walk with him. How do you do that? Ask him for guidance every morning when you wake up, when you open your eyes. Ask him for guidance for the day. Think about throughout the day how he is guiding you. The word of God reveals to us much about walking in the spirit. Everything that is a positive command in the Bible. What I mean by a positive command, for example, the negative commands are thou shalt not. The positive commands are thou shalt. Are guidelines for us for walking in the spirit. Verse 26, let us not be desirous of vainglory. There were too many in the churches in Galatia and too many in churches today who want the honor. God deserves the honor, not you and not me. It's not about self. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another. And in the process, of course, people do provoke one another. We're not to do that or envy one another. We're not to push each other's buttons and we're not to envy each other. It's all about Christ. Get the point itself. The, the self-centric idea must go away. And the Christ-centric must take over our lives. And then the fruit of the Spirit will be part of your life and part of mine. Heavenly Father, Lord God, you do know our hearts. 
you do know each one who has placed saving faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and that we realize from your word the Holy Spirit doesn't dwell us. The Spirit of Christ is in us and gives us the ability to walk in the Spirit and produce fruit that is honoring and glorifying to you. Father God, I ask you that we would yield to you every area, every area, every nook and cranny of our lives would be yours for your honor and glory. For anyone who hasn't received Christ, and we know then the Holy Spirit is not living in them, there's maybe even confused by all of this, but Father God, I ask you that you would, the Holy Spirit would convict of needs, the need to trust Christ as Savior and be transformed into a different person by the renewing of our minds as the mind of Christ can be and should be and must be in each and every one of us. Father God, I pray for you to be the one who's honored and glorified and for anyone who has a question or a prayer request or maybe even the desire to accept Jesus Christ as Savior that the Holy Spirit's convicted them of that need today, that they would talk with me once we dismiss today and that they would make sure of a new life with Christ. Or if there's a prayer request, I ask you, Heavenly Father, that they would talk with me and that I would confidentially pray with them and for them each day. Father God, may you be the one. May Jesus Christ, our Savior, be honored and worshipped in every way. For your glory, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Once again, if there is a need, and I am willing to be part of it, seek me out after the service. We will meet and talk, and I trust that God's word and the Holy Spirit have had free course in all of our lives today. Let's stand and sing, Faith is the Victory, number 377. Please stand and we'll sing, Faith is the Victory, 377, and we'll be dismissed. Looking forward to this evening together. You come back if you can. 377, Faith is the Victory. And camped along the hills of light, ye Christian soldiers rise, and press the battle ere the night shall veil the glowing skies. Against a foe in veils below, let all our strength be hurled. The victory we know that overcomes the world. Faith is a victory, faith is a victory. Oh, glorious victory that overcomes the world. Verse 2, his banner over love, the word of God. We tread the road, the saints above. Swept over every field, the faith by which they conquered death is still our shining shield. Faith is a victory, faith is a victory, oh glorious victory that overcomes the world.
to him. Here comes the foe, white raiment shall be given. Before the angels he shall know his name confess in heaven. Then onward from the hills of light our hearts with love aflame will vanquish all the host of night in Jesus' conquering name. Faith is a victory. Faith is a victory. Oh, glorious victory that overcomes the world.